You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody. Hopefully, everyone is having a great, great week. The week, if you're listening to this, it's probably Wednesday. The week is half over, and that means we're just one day closer to the weekend. And I know myself, just like many of you guys, we kind of live for the weekend. Um, I'm going to be spending as much time with the family as possible. The good news is, is my mount is ready. Well, it's been ready for some time. I just haven't been able to go find the time to uh, pick it up. But I'm going to go drive down to my taxidermist shop. I'm going to pick up the mount. I'm going to come home. I'm going to look for a good spot on the wall. And I'm going to hang that son of a gun up. And I'm going to sit back, probably crack a beer, and just look at him and stare at him. And uh, I don't know about you guys when it comes to your mounts, whether it's a European mount or a, uh, a full shoulder mount or whatever. However you guys mount your trophies. Um I just sit back and I replay that memory in my head over and over and over. And it's something I I love to do. Uh, Not only with my mounts, but my turkey fans as well. My shed antlers. I have, I can tell you almost, I I have a lot of shed antlers now, but I have uh, a wall that's filled with some of my biggest shed antlers or Uh, unique characters or from deer that I followed over the years and I can tell you exactly where I was when I found that you know like like it was in the south draw off the big farm or if it was on the buffer strip uh, on the southeast field or whatever and uh, I just love the memories that kind of uh, go with the experiences you know so you have the experience and then you have the memory that lasts forever or until you get dementia so (laughs) that was probably a bad joke but anyway (laughs) anyway today's podcast man justin czar from bowhunting.com uh and bow hunt or die web show is back again uh, for this four-part series that we're doing and today we talk about a variety of different topics but uh, we kind of kick it off with hunting one particular deer um, hunting age class or antlers and and kind of how him and I have kind of grown throughout the years, uh, you know, how we approach every season, uh, what we're doing, you know, to prepare for the season. Uh, and then we get into just a random BS deer hunting talk, just kind of like what you would talk about with your buddies on a long car ride or, you know, sitting around the camp after a, a long day of hunting. But uh, we got it's another really good podcast. You guys are going to love it. Uh, spread the word. Spread the word. Spread the word. Because on this podcast, I'm going to be giving away one Lift 2 Exodus trail camera. 
And how do you win? Well, you have to listen to the podcast to find out. All the way to the end. Maybe I might even do it in the middle. I don't know yet. But listen to the podcast. I'm going to tell you how you can win this Exodus Lift 2 trail camera. And uh, that's who is uh, uh, the commercial is with today. And it is with Exodus trail cameras. And Exodus trail cameras are direct-to-consumer, so you're getting more while paying less. They have a five-year warranty on their products. So five years is unheard of in the industry. It's a badass camera, and for the, God, I don't even know how many years I've been using them now, no problems. No problems. Literally no problems. And that's me honestly telling I, I would look you in the eyes. If I could see all of your eyes, I would look at them right now, and I would tell you I've had no problems with Exodus trail cameras. The best part is that when you turn them on, they work. You know, Aside from some user error, and I'm guilty of that every year, but Exodus trail cameras, you turn them on, and they work. I've had guys out there say, oh, man, I've had a, I've had a, little, a problem with my Exodus. They call them up or text them text their line and a guy will call you back very rapidly and they fix the problem whether it's send you a new camera or walk you through how to solve the problem uh their their customer service is second to none so uh you guys need to go check out exodus trail cameras at exodusoutdoorgear.com now when you do decide to purchase a trail camera you need to use the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive twenty dollars off of your trail camera purchase so take advantage of that other than that stay tuned throughout the podcast to learn how to win an exodus lift two and uh i say enough talking let's get into today's podcast for the second time in recent weeks with my good buddy justin czar all right, back again, Mr. Justin Czar. How the hell are you? Uh, I'm doing doing all right. It's been a hell of a day. Work is winding down. I'm getting ready to go on a little vacation, if you want to call it that, I suppose. And uh, so, yeah, I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna vent as a dad for a moment. Um, I got a daughter who's growing up way too fast. She's five. She thinks she's 16. I have a son who's potty training. So there's literally piss everywhere in my house. He's a, <laughs> we try to get him to sit down on the potty, but he likes to stand up like dad. Oh, man. Oh, it's, it's like a sprinkler head. <laughs> and then I got a, a son, my youngest, he just doesn't sleep. So, uh, yeah. That sounds that, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's my life. It's funny because I actually get more sleep during hunting season than I do this time, this time of year, which is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy because I always say that during hunting season, like sometimes I look forward to going to work during the week because that means I get to sleep in. Yeah. You know, whereas like it's Saturday and Sunday mornings, I'm getting up at 3 a.m. or whatever <laughs> stupid time I'm getting up to go hunting. And I'm like, sweet, I get to sleep until six tomorrow. That's going right. to be amazing. So it's not necessarily that I got like more sleep. I just get more or I get more hours in uninterrupted, if that makes sense. Sure. So like instead of only sleeping, you know, two hours and having to get up and then sleeping an hour and then having to get up, I'm sleeping four straight hours in a row during hunting season. And I, I'm like, I'm tap dancing into the woods, man. I'm like, I'm well rested. Nothing's going to get by me. Da, 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 da. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's like, a, it is like a vacation and I love it. Yes. So I don't know, man. Last week was kind of a serious topic. You know, it was a little bit of a Debbie Downer type episode. Lots of great information though. Sure. Uh, the last time we did it this time, I'm, I'm thinking we do something Something not so serious, uh, a little bit lighthearted, have some fun, but I want to. <laughs> but I want to start off with something that's not so fun. And you sent me a text message the other day, and it was of this giant velvet buck, and it's like, I'm, like, 
you were disappointed. I don't even remember what the text said, but you're just like <laughs> kicking yourself because you didn't shoot that buck. And it was a buck that you passed and you had history with, and then it ran off your farm and it got shot by somebody else. Now, yeah. first off, why don't you like, I want a backstory. So tell us the story on this particular buck. Sure. I'll, I'll go into probably a little bit more detail than I have in the past. So, um, you know, here where I live, again, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago. So some of the collar counties around Chicago are bow only counties. There is no gun hunting. Uh, I am extremely fortunate to have uh, a pretty good size, actually a really big chunk of property in that bow only area that only for the, for the most part, it's myself and one of my good friends, Mike Willen. So him and the two or him and I are the only two that bow hunt the vast majority of this property. Uh, there's a couple other guys that have permission to hunt uh, this farm, but what they do, the, the people that own the farm, they do a really a cool thing for all of us, which is they give us all our own piece that, that is kind of like private to us, where the other guys can't go. That way they don't have to ever deal with people stepping on each other's toes and fighting and all that stuff that kind of comes with having a large group of people hunt a piece of property. So, you know, Mike and I kind of have the nucleus of this farm and you know, the area that Mike and I hunt is probably three or 400 acres, but in total, the farm is probably, I'm going to say it's well over a thousand acres of bow only. Uh, and there's a big chunk of it that nobody bow hunts at all. That's kind of off limits to all of us. So, uh, for the past couple of years, we've been watching a deer kind of grow up through the years, um, that we identified from a young age, like was going to have the potential to be a really big buck. And we really identified that when he was two years old. He showed up that summer on trail camera. And at first we didn't recognize him. We're like, oh, dang, this this is a nice buck. You know, he's probably 130, pushing 130. At least that's what he looked like in velvet. You know, and for us, like at that time, we were all about like, if it's three-year-old or better, we're probably going to shoot it. Right. So that deer showed up on camera and he was there kind of all summer, shed his velvet, you know, rack, rack shrunk a little bit, but still a really nice deer getting a lot of pictures, a lot of video of them. And uh, I was sitting there looking through my videos one night, uh, trail camera videos of them. Uh, and this was getting to be late October and he was hitting a scrape and I got to looking at it and I was like, man, this deer just looks really young. Like he's got really long legs, a really skinny neck. Like he just didn't look even like a, like a three-year-old. So right. I got to talking to my buddy, Mike, and we both agreed. We're like, this deer is, is no older than two years old. So sure enough, I went back and started looking at trail camera pictures from the year before. And I found this I just happened to have kept a photo uh, of a, a nice year and a half old eight point with good brow tines and he was bedded down in front of the camera, which is why I kept the photo. I normally don't keep like year and a half old bucks. I just delete I just delete the pictures. I don't want to keep them. But I happen to keep this one. I'm like, oh, you know, shit, this is him. So here he is at a year and a half, two and a half. I saw him a couple times that year. Uh, Mike saw him a couple times that year. You know, neither one of us shot him. So now here we are going into uh, he's going to be three years old. So that would have been 2016. And, uh, we didn't find his sheds as a two-year-old, no, no idea where they went. So now we go into the summer, he shows up as a three-year-old and he, he just a gorgeous big 10 pointer. And, uh, we're thinking he's probably in the one fifties now as a three-year-old right? and, uh, just a beautiful deer. And he was the only at that fall, he was the only three-year-old buck on that farm all of our other deer had like disappeared they all got hit by cars or killed by neighbors or whatever whatever happened we lose a lot of deer to cars here in the suburbs just because there's so much traffic and so many people yeah so uh mike and i both decided like we're not gonna shoot this deer like he would have been one of the bigger deer that either one of us ever shot inches wise but we're like we're not gonna shoot him because we really want him to get to four years old to see what he can do you know, and both of us want to kill big deer. We both shot deer. You know, our biggest deer, both of us are in the 150s. So we're both like, you know, we'd, we'd like the opportunity to have that, you know, personal best, if you want to call it that. Right. So I really didn't hunt that farm a whole lot that year because there was no deer that I wanted to, to, to really shoot. But occasionally, uh, my personal belief has always been later in November is when you usually start seeing some of those bigger bucks break free and start traveling out of their core areas. So what had happened was it was the weekend of gun season here in Illinois, and I could still bow hunt on that farm uh, because it's a bow only season. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go out there. It's late November. Maybe something that's living across the road somewhere will show up. 
Um, that was kind of my hope. Well, you know, sure enough, this buck comes in. He walks past me at like 12 yards, you know, chip shot. I mean, I could have yeah. I could have shot him 10 different times. And I just filmed him. And, you know, it ended up being on our show. And a whole bunch of people were like, dude, you're insane. Why would you ever pass that deer? Oh, my God, he was gorgeous, blah, 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 blah. But, again, I tell the story of, like, you know, not that I've got a wall full of 150s, but I got one on the wall. And I, right. I'd like to be, I'd like to beat that at some point in time. So I kind of felt like if there's a deer that's going to ever give me the opportunity to to do that, this this is the deer. We're in a bow only area. We're the only guys bow hunting it. This is his core. He's been here since he was a year and a half, two and a half, three and a half. He's the kind of deer where you're getting pictures of him almost daily or every right. third day on yeah. camera. Like he's just he's a homebody. Um so season, he makes it through the season. I get some of the most beautiful trail camera pictures you've ever seen of him late season. Ends up dropping both of his sheds. Um, my buddy Mike is a, is a shed hunting maniac much more than I am. And he's just really good at it, and I kind of suck at it. So uh, he went out and picked up both of his sheds, uh, and he scored right around the 160 mark is probably where he was, given about an 18-inch spread. Right. Um, just a gorgeous deer. So we're like, awesome, man. Now going into this season, he's going to be four years old. Bam, here summertime comes. We start running trail cameras. He shows up and he's, as we suspected, he blew up. So now he's not, a, he's a, still a typical 10 frame, but he's got split brows, split G2s, and matching like inside points on both beams, right? Nice. So he's 16 points. And we're figuring low 190s is was what we figured him at, you know. And I got again some of the most beautiful trail camera pictures you could ever think of. But what happened was he kind of started being a little bit more sporadic. It wasn't like it wasn't until probably August until I got pictures of him. But I know how deer are during the summer. We didn't have any beans on our property. There were some beans on the neighbors, so I figured he was probably over there. Sure enough, he eventually shows up, getting pictures of him fairly regularly, and. Uh, you know, the season comes and I really had no idea where the deer was living at or bedding on the farm um, just because I wasn't getting any consistent trail camera data of them. So I kind of played it like safe, so to speak. Like I didn't hunt there a whole lot early in the season because I was like, I know this deer in the last week of October going into November, he's going to start moving. There's not a lot of does. The bucks tend to move a lot during the daylight on this farm. That's going to be my chance to kill him. So I didn't really hunt hunt him much in most of early October. Then I went to Kansas um, for four or five days, like around the 20th of October. I think we came home on the 24th, 25th, something like that. And my plan was to, to start hunting him hard after that. Uh, I remember Friday, the evening of Friday, the 27th, I hunted a, a different farm that was close to the office. This particular farm uh, where this deer was at is about 45 minutes from the office where I've got another piece of property that's like 15 minutes away. Um, so what ends up happening is, you know, if I could sneak out of the office a little bit early in the afternoon, I get to that close farm and I go hunt. Well, I ended up shooting a buck that Friday night, hit him low. Um, so we waited to track him till the next morning, which was the 28th, uh, went out, jumped him up out of his bed. Turns out I didn't kill the deer. I don't even know that I hit him in the chest i think i went underneath his chest and stuck it in his in his offside leg yeah uh, is what i ended up doing so that deer is still alive and well today so kind of blew the 27th and 28th i hunted that farm on the 29th and uh i remember as my buddy mike and i were leaving uh, another guy called me and said hey there's a big 10 pointer standing by the road down here so we we drove down there and sure enough there's a big deer that we didn't recognize uh, standing there and all of a sudden he comes busting out of the woods and he's chasing a doe flat out running, you know, balls to the wall across an open field at 1130 in the morning on October 29th. So I'm like, Oh man, the first, the first hot doe on this farm usually pops right before Halloween. I actually watched a buck breed a doe on the 29th or 30th a couple of years ago. I filmed him. So we're like, okay, obviously we've got a hot doe around here. Um, cause he, that's what he was chasing. But then after that day, we never got pictures of the big one again, right? So I think you and I talked on a podcast a while back, like how long do you go before you start to worry, yeah, right, that, right. That, that a deer is, is missing? So, you know, that first week or so, eh, no big deal. But now all of a sudden you start getting to like November 14th and you're thinking like I've had the best two weeks of daylight movement. I'm getting pictures of bucks like crazy. Some of the other good three-year-olds are showing up. We're seeing them. This deer is just gone. Like where the hell did he go? So we figured, like, I figured at that point he was dead. 
right? I'm like, well, he disappeared at, you know, around the time when, you know, these deer start moving during daylight, somebody had to have killed him. Um, started kind of putting the feelers out for, you know, guys that hunt around the area and there's not a lot of them and, you know, nothing. We figured if somebody killed a 190 inch deer, we'd, we'd hear about it, you know, talk to the local taxidermists, the local meat processing places, you know, and just nothing, nothing, nothing. So season ends, we never get another picture of him. So I'm pretty confident at that point that he's dead. Um, I'm kind of thinking maybe he got hit by a car, somebody passing by on the highway, throw him in the back of the truck and off they go and we'll never know what happened to him. So make a long story somewhat shorter. You know, now we're a couple months past hunting season. I have a client in our office here one day who's a a guy that uh, we build a website for through our rhino group business. And he's a big deer hunter and we get to kind of just BS in and, I say, yeah, man, you know, I was hunting this big buck. He's kind of up your way, kind of near where you live. And, you know, he disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. And we got to talk in rough location. And he's like, man, you know what? He's like, a buddy of mine texted me a picture of a big buck that got killed over over there in late October. He's like, let me see if I can find it. So he starts going through his phone. He's like, yeah, here it is. Turns his phone around and son of a bitch, you know, (laughs) if there isn't, you know, there's the guy smiling, sitting there holding holding this buck we had nicknamed this buck quagmire we called him right kind of had curly cues like uh his his brow tines kind of curled a little bit and uh i'm like ah son of a bitch you know so part of me at first was was disappointed right but then part of me was also relieved because it's like all right now i know that he's dead so i don't have to worry about wasting my time like i I think that's the biggest thing that i was always afraid of is like i don't want to be going to a farm and hunting a deer that doesn't exist anymore because I only get so much time to hunt. Right. And as we all know, I mean, tomorrow isn't a given, you know, anything could happen at any point in time. And am I wasting my time out here hunting a deer that's dead, which turns out I was, but I didn't, I didn't really hunt him much in November. I started hunting some of my other properties because I was convinced he was gone. My buddy, Mike wasn't ready to give up hope. So, you know, God bless him. He went after it hard the rest of the season, hoping maybe he was going to show back up. And obviously he never did, but you know, as it turns out, the guy that killed him, is a guy that I know, uh, oddly enough, or that knew my dad fairly well. And uh, we know each other. He lives right down the road. So I ended up calling him, got him on the phone one night. And he's like, oh, yeah, man. You know, I watch, I watch your show all the time. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, uh, I saw you talking on the show one day that, like, your last picture you got of this deer was, like, on October 27th. And I figured that, you know, this was the deer and that I had killed him. You know, so I was like, kind of like, shit, man, I wish somebody would have told me, you know, that the right. thing was gone. But, uh, you know, here's, here's the, you know, it's just the craziest thing, right? Four years of pictures, shed antlers, multiple encounters, the whole deal with us. This guy had never seen the deer before, right. never had a picture of him, nothing. Literally just went out to go hunting October 28th on that Saturday evening, got into his stand, had like four bucks or five bucks, I think he told me, come by him, like smaller ones. Uh, my only guess is there must have been a hot doe in the area. Maybe the one that I saw had run over there. He was probably about a mile to the east of what I would think is the, this deer's core area. He's sitting there and do, 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 do. Here comes this buck just strolling <laughs> through the woods, you know, out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, he shoots him, makes a good shot, kills a deer. Uh, he ended up scoring him at 188. And he had, Ooh. my guess, my guess is four to six inches of broken tines. He had busted off one of the splits on his G2s and one of the inside points, the smaller of the two. So I'm thinking he had somewhere in four to six inches of busted time. So he would have, would have went over one nineties, uh, just a gorgeous deer. And that's that late October Cape. Yeah. So it's kind of still shorter for, I mean, just an absolute beautiful deer. I'm happy for the guy to be honest yeah. with you. He's a good guy. He's a very nice person. he's like, man, if you want to come to my house and see the rack and whatever, just you know, bullshit, <laughs> drink a beer, like it's fine. You know, he's, he's, he's a good person and, I, and I'm happy that he killed the deer. I mean, honestly, it's the biggest deer of his life right. uh, that, that he had ever killed and he's super thrilled with it. So, you know what? Good for him. I didn't get the opportunity I wanted, but I also knew that when I let that deer walk by me at three years old and 160 inches, like I knew what I was risking, right? It was like, right. I can either put a 160 on the wall or I can try to put a 190 on the wall next year. Right. That's the risk we all take. So, right. you know, it is what it is, but yeah, it was a little, it was a little deflating at first, but honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm on to the next thing, ready to go find another deer to, to chase around. Right. So 
my mind goes to what do you think you know you're hunting on a you're hunting on a thousand acres total right what sure. makes that buck get up and split and go a mile in a different direction do you think a, a hot doe the, the only him? thing that made all of us do stupid things in our lives dan females women mm-hmm. yeah that's got, my guess anyways i got a couple hot stories <laughs> <laughs> we've all got a couple stories right. But I, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of when we saw that doe that day and that buck was chasing her. I was like, I'd never seen that deer before. No pictures of them. And they took off flat on a dead run across a field, literally directly in the direction where this deer ended up getting shot from. Man. So that's the only thing I can think of. You know, those bigger bucks. I mean, not even the bigger one, dude, all the bucks, man, they just they can smell it. They can smell it from a mile away, I guess. Yeah. You know, just and crazy. when it's in the air and the time is right, off they go. Yeah, that's nuts that, you know, even even typically what I've seen in the past is let's say a doe comes into heat, right? And she's being hounded by a buck. She, like, she may not run a mile. She, she'll still go in her pattern, but she'll run around that little area and make the guy work for it. He just it's bizarre to me because i like when i think of it i wouldn't think that this doe would lead him a mile away yeah but a mile's nothing right i mean it really just isn't you know when i look at this thousand acres or whatever it is that we have total permission on like the chunk that we have the three to four hundred acres it's not a square you know it's probably a long you know from from the northernmost point to the southernmost point of where we hunt is probably a mile away Okay. And I get pictures of the same deer on those two cameras regularly, sometimes on the same day. Right. You know, I mean, they're just they're They move around a lot more than we think, you know, and just because this guy had never gotten pictures of him doesn't mean he was never over there before. Right. You know, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know, I guarantee that deer had ventured over there before. So, you know, but we all like to think in our own minds and like, OK, late October, the bucks in his core area betting where he wants to bed. He's starting to get up a little earlier at night and, you know, go check some of these does, uh, and some of these feeding areas. Like we have this formula in our heads that let's face it, deer are wild animals. They don't follow a script. You know, he doesn't care about his, where his core area is. Like he smells a hot doe and he wants to go find her cause he's the big dog in the, in the area. And maybe she drags him. you know, and when I look, it's a straight line, maybe a mile, half of that is is an open field i mean there's probably a half a mile of field till the next woodlot you know and a deer covers that in a couple seconds you know or a minute he's across that next thing you know he's in that woods you know and he's over there exploring for a day and he just you know he had one guy to get by (laughs) on his way back home and he didn't make it so it is what it is right so i had a similar story i mean i've had multiple stories but i had one that stuck out right so uh, I had my opportunity at this big buck. I shot this big buck and I, hit I remember, him. yeah, I hit him high, <laughs> couldn't find him, but I had five years of history with this deer and something similar happened where the guy who ended up harvesting him, the first time he ever saw that buck is when he went back to stop him. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, it's crazy how, all that went down. Now I'm going to speak on my experience. So when this guy shot and killed this buck that I had been chasing and I had all this history with, um, there was a part of me that was like, son of a gun, you know, son of a bitch. This guy shot my deer, you know, it's just a very small percent of, you know, how I sure, sure. But but like you, I'm like, you know what, if there's anybody who's going to shoot this deer, I'm glad this guy did great guy. And I was happy and sad, and I had all these crazy emotions going through my my head at uh, at uh, the same time. So when he turned the picture around and showed you, like, what was the first rush of emotion that came that came to you? Ah, uh, it was like I, honestly, I think the first thing I thought was, "Man, Mike is gonna be pissed." <laughs> <laughs> I think he was a lot more invested maybe emotionally than I was into this deer. You know, I know he hunted him a lot hard. I was already convinced in my mind that he was dead. I was holding out very, very little hope that that deer was going to show up. I mean, yeah, a little piece of me was hoping, man, maybe the summer I'll come back and 
maybe he was just gone for the fall one where there were more does but but i knew you know so it didn't necessarily come as a shock to me per se i'm not gonna lie to you i mean my freaking heart started racing and i i definitely got that damn it feeling yeah you know and then i i texted the picture to mike right away mike is uh he's an hvac tech and he said he was with a he was with a client uh, like finishing up a repair, like on their, you know, air conditioner heater. And he just glanced down at his phone and saw the picture. And he's like, I could feel my blood start to boil. <laughs> he's like, I had everything I could do to not just start screaming. Like while I was in a customer's house, I had to leave, go out to my van, like get on the road. And of course he called me immediately. He's like, where the hell did you get that picture? Who is this guy? You know, but you know, there's always that initial emotion. There's the disappointment more than anything. You know, that, man, I really, I really wanted to, I guess I wanted to have the opportunity to hunt that deer a little bit more is really what I wanted. Like if Mike had killed him or whatever, I at least put myself into a position to have an opportunity, but I just, I never did. I was waiting for pretty much the last week of October to start hunting that deer and, and he was dead, you know, right out of the gate. Right. So, you know, but it is, it is what it is, you know, fortunately, you know, I still had a good season. I still killed a nice buck. Should have killed two nice bucks, to be honest with you. Like all things considered, I, I had a pretty good season. That particular farm uh, had another just mega giant three-year-old on it this year. Somehow we've lucked out and got two in a row after having six or seven years of nothing. Right. Um, that deer lived. Mike picked up one of his sides. It scored like 82 inches or 83 inches, just one side. Yeah. It's the bigger of the two sides. The other side, this is like an eight-point side. The other side's like a big five-point. But I think that deer has the potential to be even bigger than this one was, oh boy. you know, and he obviously made it through the season. He's still there. So going into next year, I mean, here's, you know, second opportunity maybe to have the, the chance to chase the biggest deer of our lives, you know, on that same farm. Right. So, you know, I've kind of turned the corner and it's like, all right, let's start planning for, for this year. We've started you know, doing a little bit of food plot work, a little bit of tree stand work. We're actually going to be tearing a lot of our stands down and moving them because they've been in the same spots for a long time. We've kind of falling into that, that rut of complacency where it's like, we got our stands and they're already set up. We know how to get into them and out of them, but maybe, maybe it's time to, to switch things up a little bit. Uh, so it's kind of opened a new, a new chapter of our hunting careers and it's brought a little bit more enthusiasm maybe back. We were kind of deflated, for a couple of weeks there and now it's like all right let's let's get to work because we got another one to, to chase come october if he makes it that far right, right. <laughs> crossing my fingers it's imagine what it's it's uh it's interesting what putting a tree stand in a new location can do for morale that like you've never hunted before for me it's like when i maybe i've gone to a spot in this area you know i run a gun in set up tear down multiple days you know i've blown it out by this point and i'm just like oh man it sucks because i was really hoping to run into this run into this buck i didn't run into him and i'm like all right well i'm gonna go to a different spot of the farm blow in there and then you just have this anticipation this brand new anticipation that kind of gets you fired up again and it's like that rut now new beginning for that rut sure it's the thrill of the chase right i mean that's why we love hunting so much and that's the hard thing for a lot of people that aren't hunters to understand that the hunting isn't necessarily about the killing part of it, at least not for me. It's about the thrill of the chase. Absolutely. So in that thrill, of the chase is moving in and going to new areas and seeing new things and doing different stuff. So, yeah, sometimes we get complacent. And I do have a couple of stands that we decided to leave because they're just in historically good spots, yep. you know, but everything else is coming down and we're going to sit down and fresh game plan. You know, the crop rotation is different every year. The woods have changed over the years. The way that the deer travel changes, you know, from year to year. Maybe not much, but when you're bow hunting, it doesn't take much to get a deer out of range. You know, so sometimes even moving those stands 20 and 30 yards, just keying in on new travel patterns or maybe a giant tree fell. The deer now have to go around and it's changed. It's not bringing them as close to your stand as, as it used to or whatever. Like sometimes it just pays to hit the reset button and rethink everything and do it over, Absolutely. right? Apply all the new stuff that you've learned. Don't rely on, I have five years ago when I hung that stand, it seemed like it was a good idea, but I've never killed anything from it. I've never had the chance to kill anything from it. And I've hunted it, you know, 20 times now, uh, maybe time to move it. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. 
Now, what was I going to say? Passing deer, right? Yes. This year, I passed two deer in the 150s. They were three-year-olds. And it was because my trail cameras were showing me that there were bigger deer in the area, more mature deer in the area. Do you ever, have you ever, like, I don't know, maybe this is a perfect example, but did you regret passing that three-year-old? Or have you ever regretted passing an animal that maybe you wished you should, you know, if you could have gone back, you would have shot this particular deer? Uh, no, not really. I can't say that I have. Like, for me, when I pass a deer, I've pretty much already made up my mind that I'm going to pass the deer before I even ever see the deer. I mean, that's what trail cameras have done to us nowadays. We're able to get this inventory of all these animals, and we know the deer before we even ever lay our eyes on it. And the thing shows up, and you're like, okay, that's so-and-so, whatever you're calling it. And I've already mentally prepared myself to pass that deer, so it's it's not as big of a deal. Right. You know, and, you know, I, I've said this before, like, for me, it's all about not just the age of the deer, but it's the particular farm that I'm hunting. I'm certainly not above shooting a good three-year-old. I really don't care what other people say or whatever other people do. Yeah. On that particular farm, I didn't want to shoot that deer. But that's not to say I'm not going to go down the road to one of my other farms that's considerably smaller, has a lot of gun pressure around it, not as many deer. And if there's a 150-inch three-year-old that walks by me there, yeah, I'm shooting his ass Yeah, because I want to. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I've ever regretted passing a deer because I, I already knew that I was going to pass them. Sometimes I've regretted not taking shots that – I could have or should have taken when I had the opportunity. You know, this year I had an opportunity to shoot a really, really nice nine pointer. You know, and he's a little over 40 yards, which is just like 40 is like my self imposed limit. Like, I just don't want to shoot deer over 40 yards. It's like I'm a bow hunter. If I wanted to shoot deer at 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 yards, I'd be a gun hunter, right? right? I mean, that's kind of the whole point of bow hunting, which is a whole nother topic. But this deer, you know, I had him at like 42, 43, perfectly broadside, standing there, looking the other way. And I thought he was going to come and give me a chip shot at 20 yards because that's there was a scrape that he was walking towards. I'm like, why shoot him at 43 when I can just pound him at 18 when he walks down here? And then he never came in and gave me the shot. Like a little part of me regrets not taking that shot when I had the opportunity. But I'm also glad I didn't because it's like I don't want I don't want to take that shot. You know, I just, just not what I want to do. So I'm a little more regretful of that. And that wasn't even as big of a deer. It's probably 145 inch maybe. And I think he was a four year old, great, great looking deer. And I know he made it through the season. I got pictures of him shed, uh, on the farm. So he'll be there for next year and hopefully he's even bigger next year. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, trail cameras have just changed everything when it comes to, to deer, right. You know? I will say this, though. I mean, if I'm in a position where I'm on a farm and a deer comes walking in that I don't know and I don't have history with, like, generally speaking, I'm not trying to age that thing on the hoof. I'm just looking at the rack and I'm like, if he looks good, I'm shooting him. I don't care how old he is, you know. So and that may mean shooting a good three year old, you know, and if it happens, then it happens and I'm going to be happy with it. Absolutely. You know, I went through a weird time in my life. Like I didn't start ser- like I bow hunted, but I didn't start seriously bow hunting until about 2006 where like I didn't kill I think my first deer I ever shot was a doe when I was 26 years old with a bow. Okay? Right. So, I didn't like I was passing young bucks and I'd never shot a buck before. Right. I remember those videos and I remember thinking to myself, what in the hell is this guy doing? He's never shot like a deer or very many deer. Like you should be shooting every deer that walks in front of you right right now. Right. So I ran a, I'll I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. I was running, you know, like these old trail cameras, right? The ones that took the D batteries, like six D batteries, the Moultries that were just like, yeah, man, the old I forties. I had a bunch of them. They were great. The size of a textbook basically. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm showing this farmer this trail cam picture. This is 2006, one of my first years. I'm like, hey, check this buck out. And he's like, what about it? He's like, oh, it's it's a big buck. And he's like, don't shoot that buck. He's like, there. if you put your time in, you're going to 
see bigger bucks. And sure enough, my trail camera started showing a little bit, some, you know, some bigger bucks. So here, here I am, this guy who's never killed any deer period with a bow. And he says to, you know, and so I'm just like, you know what, this guy's, maybe this guy's right. Maybe I should just only kill mature bucks. And he educated me on what to look for from like a body standpoint. And he's like, typically the bigger rack means bigger, you know, older deer. I mean, not necessarily, not necessarily, but for the most part, that's somewhat true. And, uh, so I'm just like, okay. So I start 2006, seven, eight, I start passing all these deer and I have yet to kill, you know, uh, 2006, I ended up shooting a, a four year old big bodied buck with my bow later in the season. And then my next, my next buck came in 2009. So I went like three years there and then 2012. So I was only shooting these mature bucks and not really getting comfortable around big deer, right? Like every year, you know what I mean? So I had this conversation with this guy from Wisconsin and you know, the Nevar guys. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, dude, you just need to start shooting deer. And because I, I had an encounter with uh, a couple really big deer that I screwed up on and I was straight up because, you know, that, that saying play like you've been there, act like you've been there after you win a championship or whatever. And yes, I've been around big mature bucks, but only to draw back and shoot them never to like, just, I don't know. I, I wasn't comfortable around these big deer. And I think a lot of that kind of led to me getting buck fever when this buck I call shipwreck stepped out and he, you know, he was like 210 inches. And so I was passing all these deer. I'd never been comfortable just killing a lot of deer. So I think if I could go back and do it again, I would just shoot, get comfortable shooting deer and not worry about age class or antler size or whatever. And just kind of be a hunter and then progress into that. And I think that's what I've, I'm doing now is something completely different where I'm, I had my huge big buck stage. Like I'm only going to shoot giant bucks. And now let's see 2000 or last year I shot a a four-year-old, nothing big in the antler department. This year I shot a a giant two-year-old. I'm pretty sure he's a two-year-old and that there's a story there too, but I'm going to just, do what makes me happy and if the deer makes me get excited i'm going to shoot him i don't care really what his yeah. what his age or score is i i'm 100 with you and i think that's i think you're seeing that a little bit more in hunters i think right. a lot of people went through that phase of like trying to only kill big bucks and you know i tell you what they're not as easy to kill and they're not as plentiful as you think you right. know if they're not on the properties that you have access to or you have limited time to hunt or whatever the case may be, like we hunt because we want to be successful, right? right? And if you're not prepared to go and eat tag soup for many years, which most of us aren't, like it's a hard thing to do, right? you know, to say I'm only going to shoot a deer of a certain size. So, I mean, I I agree, man. I just, you know, I give my my buddy Tommy Elford that I hunt with, I give him a lot of grief sometimes because every every 110-inch two-year-old that comes walking through the woods, he loses it and he's like dude there's a giant there's a giant giant's coming <laughs> you know i'm getting the camera ready and i look down and i was like where's the giant he's like he's that's him i'm like oh i thought there's a deer behind that one because that one's <laughs> a hundred and inch two-year-old right but it's like i like to get, bust his balls about it but you know that's what hunting's all about is that just enthusiasm that excitement that having fun you know not every deer needs to be boone and crockett size i mean we're not all gonna be Mark Drury or Lee Lukoski or some of these guys like that's just not reality yeah. right for most of us so you know I, I'm definitely on the the page of shoot what makes you happy you know I think and for me personally speaking like Mike and I have, have decided on this this farm where this deer lived last year and we got the next big one like this is our last real push to try to kill a, a big four-year-old or better you know we've been kind of managing this place for older deer for like almost eight years now. And just, it is very, very rare for us to get a deer to four years old, whether they're getting killed by neighbors or cars or leaving or whatever. Like it's just, we're passing lots and lots of young 
you know, really good two and three year olds and we're not, we're not being rewarded for it in the end. Like the deer just, they're just not making it. Um, so we decided like, this is our last attempt at trying to grow ourselves a really big four year old. And if he's there, great. If not great, we're going to just go back to shooting good three year olds. If that's all we got to hunt and they walk by him by us, I mean, we're going to shoot him. Mike passed probably 140 inch eight point last year early in October, just a gorgeous, big, tall time deer that sure he would have been happy to shoot, but we were like, no, 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 let's pass these three-year-olds, you know? So, and it's crazy what, like you said, what trail cameras can do because I had all these trail cameras pictures of the deer that that were on my main farm. So this year I, I passed 250 inch deer, right? And then I go to another farm where I had no knowledge of the deer that I shot. There was no trail cameras there. And I really, I, I don't even know what he scored. I never, I didn't put a tape to him or anything, but I'm going to guess mid one forties, but he looked like a beast in, in this really thick stuff that he, you know, was coming through. And, um, and it made me happy. And it was, it sure. I was like shaking and I called, you know, doing the call, you know, calling people, telling them I just shot a buck. And then I got down out of my tree stand and I walk up to it and I'm just like, uh, I'm going to be able to put this buck in my backpack and walk back to the car because <laughs> his body was so small. So Yeah, but uh, yeah, I know. Believe me, I've been there, dude. I had one year a couple of years ago. I mistakenly killed in one year two different two-year-olds in one year. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny story. So the first one, I was, you know, it's amazing. Like when you're younger, you think you'd know everything. And then as you grow up and get older, you realize how much you didn't know when you were younger. Right. But uh, I was hunting down in uh, more central Illinois with Mike and we we're filming together. And uh, it was late October, had a buck up on this hillside, worked down this hill and he's coming down and I'm watching him with binoculars and I'm trying to like, age this deer based on his body and his face and not really look at his rack. He was an eight or nine pointer. And I knew he wasn't that big. And I was, and I convinced myself he was a three-year-old. He comes down the hill point blank. I shoot him. Uh, long story short, we recover the deer and I'm like, son of a bitch. He's a, he's a two-year-old. Like he's definitely, there's no question about it. He's a two-year-old. And I was on this quest of three years old or older, but at the time that I shot the deer, like I can go back and, uh, I can go back and watch the footage. Like I was pumped, man. I was fist pumping and yeah, dude, we killed the bug. It was on film. Everything was cool. So, I mean, that was exciting. And, um, had a couple other guys that I hunted with on that particular lease. And a couple weeks later I was texting one of them and I was like, dude, I shot another, I shot another two year old tonight. Cause they were busting my balls about shooting a two year old. And I was like, dude, I shot another two year old. And my buddy, Dan, he lived up in Wisconsin. He's like, are you shitting me? You, you did what? <laughs> and I was like, dude, it was a total mistake. It happened fast. You know? And he's like, well, you're done for the year now. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm not going to tag this deer. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, dude, I'm not going to waste my, my second tag on another two year old. Right. So I was totally lying to, to, to my buddy. He thought I was going to do this. Right. So he ends up, we're texting. I was sitting at dinner with Mike. We're laughing our asses off, having fun. Dan calls me. And I tell him, I'm like, dude, I didn't shoot another deer. I'm lying. Do you think I would really shoot a deer and not tag it, you moron? You know, so it was like the next morning we go out hunting and Mike and I split up. And I, uh, it's late. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. We we're going to sit all day. It was like November 11, something like that. I'm way back in the timber. All of a sudden these does come flying off this hill. And they're just, you know, balls to the wall. They're coming down this hill. And there's a buck flying after him, just grunting up a storm. And he turns and I see his right side and he's got like a 12 inch G2, like a 10 inch G3. And I'm like, shit, yeah, here we go, baby. So he, he comes in, I smoke him. I mean, just perfect double long. He runs up the hill and falls over. So I'm texting Mike. I'm like, dude, I just shot a really good buck, blah, 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 blah. He's like, okay, cool. I'm seeing a bunch of action by me. He's like, I'll get down at like noon and I'll come over there. So Mike comes over. I'm down at the bottom of the tree. We're going to do the recovery. And he's like, uh, he goes, dude, I saw the biggest two-year-old I've ever seen in my life this morning. He's like, this deer is awesome. If he makes it two more years, he is going to freaking scare you. I'm like, oh, no shit. And where was he? And he, he told me where he went and everything. Awesome deer, right? And, and Mike, and he goes, man, if some asshole doesn't shoot that deer, he's going to be huge. Oh, cool, dude. Well, let's go recover my buck. Get down, grab the arrow, <laughs> walk up to the deer. And Mike walks up there and he looks and he goes, you're that asshole. 
you shot him. And I felt the same way you did. I could have fit this deer in my backpack. He was like 150 pounds, I felt like. But he literally was 100. I scored him at just shy of 130, basically as an eight point. Like huge, long tines, not very wide, halfway decent mass, just super long, tall tines. And uh, just an absolute gorgeous, huge two-year-old. But I mean, he is, his neck was like a pencil. He was like 150 pounds, you know, I was like, oh, crap. So then, so as it turns out, you know, karma came back to bite me in the ass after giving my buddy a hard time and playing a, trying to play a joke on him that I mistakenly shot my second two-year-old of the year. I ended up actually doing that. So yeah. serves me right, I suppose. But a lot of that stuff changes. Like for me, I mean, sim- I guess you and I kind of share something like you, you lease that property, right? That particular piece we did. Yeah. Okay. And I don't like lease property. Uh, I, I do hunt with other hunters. I mean, you share that property, your main property with other hunters and it's, it's different. I think I would be a different hunter if I actually owned and could control the property that uh that i hunt that i that i I would hunt do you like i i feel at sometimes like i'm a hypocrite when i talk about these things because if all of a sudden i came into a farm and it was given to me let's say uh, inheritance or i could afford one i feel like my hunting strategy would change a bit and i would go down the path of food plots and waiting as opposed to you know dropping into a bedding area and doing the whole hardcore running gun type thing. What about you? Yeah, I totally, man. I mean, why, why wouldn't it change? Right. Because now you're in control of your destiny. I've always felt that way. I've lost more pieces of property to hunt than I can remember at this point. So it's like passing deer for what I might not even be hunting this place next year. Right. Well, I mean, honestly, it's not worth it in so many cases. Like, the case of the deer I passed last year was a very specific scenario. Like pretty sure I'm going to be hunting here next year. It's bow only. We're the only two guys. Like everything was set up to make that story come to fruition. All my other pieces, man, I'm hunting a hundred acres with three or four guys, you know, and pressure all around us. Like I'm not in the habit of passing deer that, that I want to shoot, hoping that they're going to be there next year because chances are they're not. Right. You know, that's just the reality when you're the average guy, you know, if you're the average guy hunting, public land or sharing a small piece and breaking up the lease to make it semi-affordable for the normal dude like you just can't you just can't be passing those deer like that like unless you've got a lot of money a hell of a lot of time to go scout and find deer and travel to other states like I, i listen to these podcasts and i i read these stories and stuff and i'm like where how in the hell are these guys finding all this time and money and whatever to go travel to these other places and like killed my fourth 200 inch It's like dude i've never even seen a 200 inch deer yeah. on the hoof while hunting you know like that's just a whole separate world from what i live in right right i i think the opposite like when i went out to nebraska uh and it was a spot and stock only type ordeal i was gonna shoot the first anything that walked by because i didn't i didn't know anything i just wanted to like my goal was to shoot a mule deer buck and I didn't even see one the whole trip. I, I saw a lot of mule deer does, but you know, towards the end of that trip, I'm like, you know what? I just want to shoot some a, a different species. And I think that's kind of what I'm in, what modem I'm in right now because sure, I got a elk hunt coming up in September, and I told the guys that I'm going with, I'm like, I've never shot an elk before, and I'm gonna shoot the first elk that is within bow range, whether it's a cow or a bull, and it's it's gonna there's going to be an arrow sent its way. Yep. I'm with you there. And what I was talking about was like, I see some of these like hardcore guys that are like really successful hunters that travel out of state, you know, a lot. And they're doing three, four States in a, in a fall. And they're, they're probably well more advanced in their quote unquote hunting careers, like than we are. Right. And they're maybe to that point where they're just like, this is their goal and they want to go travel around and shoot nothing but 150 or better deer. Right. Right. Like I, that, that's not me, man. Like if I can kill one decent deer in my home state every year, thumbs up. I'm pretty, I'm pretty damn happy. Yeah. If I get to travel and go somewhere, 
then I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm my, uh, my standards are a little bit less. I'm a lot like you. Like when I went to Wyoming with Dustin on that mule deer hunt, like I wasn't going to hold out for a giant. I didn't want to shoot a dink, right. you know, because I was like, dude, I'm just, this is costing me a lot of money to go on this hunt. I don't want to shoot a year and a half old, but I'm not holding out for the next world record either. Like just right. get, get me a decent buck and I'm going to be happy. Right. You know? Right. So I totally understand that. These guys, I think the guys that you're talking about, though, have a lot more time than myself and the other people who listen to this podcast, right? We're talking about guys, me and you, we have full-time jobs. We have a certain amount of vacation that uh, we get every year. And yes, I get to hunt a lot of weekends in October and November, but then I have two weeks. I have one week I'm going to dedicate to an elk hunt. I have two weeks that I dedicate to the rut. And then the two other weeks I have on my vacation are dedicated to my family. So it's like, how many weeks vacation you get, dude, I've, I get, I'm, I'm in a multinational corporation. So I get five weeks of vacation a year. Dude, I get three. Yeah. So you're two weeks ahead of me. Right. I mean, I would think by the, as much time have you, as you've put into bowhunting.com and Rhino Group, you should be sitting at like five or six weeks. Ah, someone's <laughs> got to be here to run this place. You can't, you can't oh, just ignore gonna emails. I'm not going to complain too much. I, I, I have a decent amount of flexibility, but there's also a lot of work to do. When you're running a small businesses, like right. that's the thing. You, the bigger the company you work for, generally the more time off you can get. It's a trade-off, right? right? You know, I have a lot of perks of working for some small businesses here that, are, that is fantastic. Having a lot of time off just isn't one of them. I can't think of the last time I took off like like a full week of work. Like generally my hunting season is like – like when we went to Kansas last year, we went like left on a Friday, did a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, came home on a Wednesday. Right. Like that's generally most of my hunting trips or like three day weekends, you know, stuff like that. I, I don't think I've taken off like a full week of work and I don't know, maybe since I got married and went on my honeymoon, something like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm also fortunate to have, you know, a couple spots locally that do allow me to sneak out during the week when the conditions are right two or three times. And honestly, like, for me, I, I appreciate the flexibility of being able to do that probably more than I do going, being off for extended amounts of time because it allows me that like when the conditions are right and it's a cold front's moving in and the weather's good and whatever, like if I need to get out of here at two o'clock and go sneak in a tree stand, like I can, right? you know, and I feel like I'd much rather have that flexibility than the, you know, I had to put my vacation in two months ahead of time. And this is the week I'm taking off, and now I have to sit back and hope and pray that the weather's going to be good during that week. Otherwise, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, you're going to hunt one way or another, but you know, it's nice to be able to hone in on those times when yeah. you when you think the conditions are good. Right. Which which I have some of that flexibility, which is really really nice. And see, my farm, my main farm where I do most of my hunting is an hour away, and when you think about it, that's not really. A, that far as you know sick out i can get from my my desk to in a tree stand in an hour and a half uh, depending on what sure. part of the farm but if a cold front comes through on you know the 23rd on a wednesday i'm i'm not i can't make that cold front you know down to my main farm just because i have to pick the kids up from daycare or you know so i i Although the extra vacation is good, you know, I can take bigger chunks off as opposed to like leaving work early and being like, hey, man, I, I got to make this cold front tonight down at the farm. And then I have yeah. to not only pass it by my boss, but then I have to pass it by my boss. You know what I mean? <laughs> I understand <laughs> that. I understand that fully. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's give and takes, you know, on that. And I've been fairly successful with limited, you know, more surgical strikes, if you want to think of them that way. You know, or it's like, okay, tomorrow morning is going to be a great morning. And they're not always great. Sometimes it's like you get out there and you're like, everything's lining up, whether it's the moon, the pressure, the weather, the wind, the time of year, whatever. And you're like, sweet, tomorrow morning's it. Yeah. You know, hey, you know, do all my emails, stay up late at night, make sure everything's good, make sure all my guys at the office are set. They know what they're working on. You know, hey, Todd, I'm going to be in late tomorrow. I'm going to go hunting in the morning. And I get out there and I don't even see a damn deer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, so much for that plan. So it doesn't always work out. but. Right. When it does, it's pretty nice. Right. 
do you do you have any cell cameras i do i have uh i have two three three of them have have those i don't know in the past couple years have you made a hunting decision strictly off let's say a trail cam pick that was sent to you within 12 hours i have not no i know people that have yeah I know people that have, I haven't personally, for some reason I have this horrible track record where it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but I seem to put my cell cameras in the worst damn possible spots <laughs> where it's just like, they don't, they don't get pictures or they're only getting little bucks or just whatever. Like, I don't know. And then I'll go out and check the rest of my cameras and they're all blowing up with awesome photos of big deer in front of them, you know, all the time. And I just like, I don't know if it's just bad luck or what, but yeah. Uh, no, I can't say that I've made a decision based specifically on a cellular camera. Gotcha. You know, I got, I have three of them. They're all running right now. I mean, I'm getting pictures of shed bucks, but I'm more or less looking for turkeys is what I'm yeah. doing right now to try to see where the turkeys are at. Right. Cause I've, I'm going to probably have two cell cameras at the beginning of this season. And I'm determining, like, I'm trying to figure out like number one, I get horrible reception because I hunt this big river bottom and my cell phone doesn't even work down there. So that's one issue. And the other issue is just like, you know, if I, if I put a trail camera up and it does get reception and it does send a picture to my phone and I do make a decision and I go in there, I hunt it and I kill it. There's like this part of me that is just like, poser you know like poser you know like sell out you know like i don't know like all the hardcore skaters and surfers back when when i was younger sure. they'd, be, they'd be like oh sell out brah you know like <laughs> because <laughs> i i used a piece of technology to kill a deer when i feel like the people that i look up to in the hunting community would look down at me and just call me a poser or they're secretly doing it and just not telling everybody <laughs> you know that they're doing it you know I don't really care what anyone else does, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, good, good on them. I mean, for me, I, I, I use mine more or less. I put them in areas that are harder for me to get to that I don't go to as frequently. Yeah. That are harder for me to monitor, maybe a farther walk or I got to get through a bedding area or whatever the case is. You know, that's where I like to put mine. And it's more of a convenience so I don't have to go check it than it is like, I'm looking for a deer. If he shows up in there tonight, I'm going after him. Like, right. I don't know. As much as we want to think like that, it, I suppose it could work, you know, but it'd have to be a very specific instance because, dude, deer cover a lot of damn ground. And you right. can get a picture of one, and by the time any of us get off our asses, grab all of our stuff, get out there, that deer can be on the other side of the farm by the time we get there. Or we're just going to bump him when we're walking in, you know, because he's running around. I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's quite as big of a deal as some people make it out to be. Right, right. I don't know. That was just something that popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, no, I dude, I have one. I mean, honestly, I took I took one this weekend. I put it this last weekend. I put it in one of my clover plots that's going to start greening up. It's a hard spot for me to get to because I have to cut through this big chunk of woods to get to the plot. And I actually got these uh, like 12 volt battery boxes to attach to my my cameras, uh, especially my cell cameras because they chew through batteries so fast. It's got a little solar panel that recharges the 12 volt battery, like. I put that thing there on a little trail camera mount in that food plot. I don't want to go back to it until hunting season starts, to be honest with you. I mean, that's kind of my plan. So hopefully it's going to work out. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, my friend, uh, my kids are crying in the background, and that means it's the end of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure mine are crying, but my wife's listening to them right now. My buddy that I'm going to Kansas with just texted me that we're going turkey hunting with. And he said, you better tell your wife tonight because I just told my wife and our wives talk a lot. Oh, boy. So it's better that she hears it from me than from her friend. Right. <laughs> so I have to go break my news to, that, to my wife tonight. That is crazy. Well, Mr. Czar, thank you very much again for coming on. And we got two more of these left. So Excellent. Did we, think of a, did we think of a name yet? Oh, shit. I haven't thought of a name, no. No, that's all right. I knew I'll do that while I'm driving 10 hours out to Pennsylvania tomorrow (laughs) and my kids are screaming and I'm listening to podcasts the whole time. Sounds good, man. Hey, until (laughs) next time. Thanks buddy. All right, everyone. Here's how you win the Exodus lift Two trail camera. The first thing you need to do is 
go to the Sportsman's Nation Facebook page and share the post on your personal page that mentions this particular podcast with Justin Czar. So uh, make sure you share that on your page. Then you need to go to, let's say, who do I want to do make it? Who do I want to make it? Let's raise some awareness for QDMA. Then I want you to go to QDMA's Facebook page and comment nine fingers sent me. And uh, if, you, if you're there and you feel like donating some money to a good cause, hell, donate some money to a good cause. But here's how you win the Exodus Lift 2 trail camera. On the Sportsman's Nation Facebook page, you need to share the post on your personal page that mentions this podcast with Justin. Then you need to go to the QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association, Facebook page and comment nine fingers sent me and uh, I'll I'll check both places I'll pick a winner check both places if you do those things you will win it's really easy and uh, be sure to follow go to uh, Facebook and Instagram and like Exodus trail cameras uh, that would be awesome as well but uh, make sure you do those two things and you'll be entered to win huge shout out to Justin for the second time coming on uh, the next podcast that I do with him we're going to have another guest on the phone as well Mark Canyon of Wired to Hunt I'm sure you guys know who he is and uh, we're just going to BS again huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Wasp Exodus Lone Wolf Ozonics Ripcord Thank you guys for your support. So please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And who else? Who else? Social media, right? Follow Sportsman's Nation. Follow Nine Finger Chronicles and all the other podcasts that are on uh, the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. I think that's it. If you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.